Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome, everyone. All right, we have a really big show here. If you need to get up, move around, wiggle, uh, we're all kind of uh, drying out here in California. So here is the Dharma talk that I do not want to talk about uh, today for whatever reason. I'll explain it a little bit later to you. Um, the topic of the talk is called picking up and putting down. In Buddhism, we train quite a bit on letting go, on this phenomenon of letting go. But as humans, and it's not easy to be a human being in 2023 or probably any time, it's just not easy. Um, we're not so good at letting go. And the Buddha tells us that habitually we uh, crave, we grasp, and we cling, and then we suffer, right? Uh, and um, that this is what keeps us on a wheel of suffering and in what he calls an ignorance. He also says that we are born with this ignorance and it comes from a collective ancestral kind of ignorance it's not ours it's not mine or yours we're just swimming in a soup of this habitual formation and you and I both know uh as ardent as we can be in our meditation in our dedication to Buddhist ideas to our practice we pick up clinging uh, and grasping, and we we put it down, we pick it up, we put it down, uh, and it's the nature of being human and not um, something that we fall short, you know, that, that it's not something that we're less than, it's just human to pick up grasping, clinging, wanting, desire, and to let it go, and then to pick it up again, let it go, and pick it up again. Um, so um, we're, the Buddha talked about grasping and clinging in the Four Noble Truths, which I know this group has been getting teachings on. David's been teaching on that quite a bit. Um, the teaching that I'm talking about today, particularly, or trying to, is from the Anapanasati Sutta. Anapanasati Sutta. That's mindfulness of breath. Uh, right. And um, you can all take a look at that. A good place to read about that is um, Access to Insight has a, a very good translation of that. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm reading from my own notes on this sutta and from Mark Nunberg in particular. Uh, who is in Minnesota, and from um, Bruno Kion, who is from uh, Australia in the outback somewhere. 
um, and I'll be playing a little bit with some of their ideas. And I won't even begin to touch the entirety of this teaching. It's vast and big. And so I'm just going to give you hopefully a, a few uh, nuggets about uh, what is grasping and what is clinging. And the first thing I'll say is it's important to say, what does grasping feel like for you? It's very individual and unique in some ways. Um, and sometimes we're, we're kind of unconscious, we're not paying attention, and we don't know that we're grasping and clinging onto something. So um, I will hopefully make this a little more um, clear to you. Um, but the Buddha says, for sure, when we're grasping and clinging, there is surely suffering, and that suffering is optional. And I was going through my notes of all the years of Dharma talks. Um, and I, I had a list of what suffering is. And so I'll read it to you in case you don't know what suffering is, or stress is another way to say it, in case you, you need a remedial. None of us do, but okay. Faint unsettledness, uh, irritation, impatience, annoyance, frustration, disappointment, dissatisfaction, aggravation, tension, stress, anxiety, vexation, pain, desperation, sorrow, sadness, suffering, misery, agony, anguish, uh, ruminating, obsessing, right? There's one. Um, uh, sometimes I just call it the grip in the chest or the stomach, uh, tightening, right? Um, so the Buddha says, a lot of this is optional. Uh, not all of it is optional. Life is is tough, um, but some of it is optional, and and we'll explore that. Hope I haven't lost you. All right, all right already. Here we go. So um, one of the things the Buddha talks about in this sutta and in many, many other places in uh, the vast body of teaching is that uh, we can live as though we're disconnected from our body. Like we can live from the neck up. And we, we've talked about this a lot. Uh, like as if there isn't a body because we're so lost in our thought and our narrative uh, that very often we're disconnected from the neck down. Um, and Mark Nuremberg calls that a neurotic way of being. Um, but the Buddha really teaches us how the mind relates to the body um, so that we don't live a distance from the body and we're not forgetting the body. Um, and so some of our practice for those of us who are trying or are making an attempt to remember, sati is remembering, is to be aware of the body as we go through life and, and its unfoldment to know um, the reaction of mind and body. And once you do, it gets really fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Um, and this is also a way to release grasping clinging, suffering, dukkha, 
right? Because if you know that there's a sensation in the body, you also know a couple of things, right? You know um, that it's an opportunity, whatever sensation is coming in, is to bring equanimity to it, right? To bring this evenness, this calm, this ease, this balance. So if you, a challenge would be as you go through your day to notice the body, notice what the body is doing and then see what happens. Um, so I gave myself this exercise for the week, uh, watch the body watch the body, watch the body, see what happens. And uh, one day after a big, big rain, uh, like everyone else, I rushed to the market to go shopping without pouring rain. And so did everyone else. And I got to the shopping center in the car. Uh, and as I'm driving into the shopping center, uh, I'm waiting to turn to get into a parking spot. There are people walking to the market and cars coming both ways. Um, and I just slowed down. I was like, oh, this is a big scene. I'm slowing down. And the next thing I know is somebody is honking their horn behind me. They're honking, right? So the job was, the task was to feel the body, right? And uh, to just notice right? Not just the thinking, but the body. I could feel my whole body from the honking tense like that, you know, this tightness and this tenseness, right? There's like a relationship there. And then there were these thoughts, they shouldn't be honking at me. That is rude, <laughs> right? It's me they're honking at. You know, I like almost a hurt, like you're honking at me, you know? And you can see in that moment, um, what the Buddha is teaching over and over and over again is uh, something happens in the world outside, right? A stimulus is happening outside. And when we create a story of self, of me, right? Of me, uh, there's tension already in the body. I could feel the whole body at the steering wheel tensing up the guys honking, honking. And I, I really need to let people go and traffic. And, and if we cling to this idea of me, my idea that I'm a good driver, you shouldn't honk at me. I'm, I, windy block, I am a good driver. I'm, I'm a good driver. You know, and how dare you cling to, you know, how dare you honk your car at me, your horn there, right? And the more I embed myself in this story, this scenario, uh, the more stress and tension I have and the more I suffer. And if I'm unconscious, it carries out the whole day and then I'm honking at somebody, right? So, uh, so there you are. Where is your grasp and cling? Is it uh, is it to an idea of me? I'm a good driver. Don't insult me. Right. Or I'm a good driver. Treat me respectfully because I deserve respect because I, I deserve respect from you. Give it to me. Right. You can see all the subtle 
ways we cling, right? We, we, we develop this stress uh, from what happens on the outside. It's our mind telling us it's an us. It's our mind telling us it's an us. So one way to, to work with this, to get present and conscious in the moment of this is to notice your, what your body does. As your body tells you uh, when, that there's some thinking going on that a self is created. And by the way, science tells us there's a part of the brain that um, creates a self and then creates a problem around a self. So we're really working with um, changing this habit pattern through awareness, becoming aware uh, so that we're not a runaway train of just thoughts of, of, of creating a self and then a problem around the self. And I'll go into that more. So another thing uh, that Mark Numberg points out here is um, <clears throat> we, we're swimming in habit conditioning, right? There's a lot of habit and conditioned habit that um, comes from being in a collective world that creates a lot of suffering through a self-image and thought and the way we cling to our image and thought in ways that are unhelpful and unskillful and lead to um, a suffering. And um, when that suffering comes up in any form of aversion, we disconnect. We disconnect and we tune out and we tune out and we disconnect. We don't like the feeling <clears throat> of that suffering. It really plays out in in subtle and um, and not so subtle ways. And he gives an example of uh, you have a show on Netflix um, that you really love, and um, you also have a lot of deadlines, maybe for work uh, and things that you have to take care of. Uh, but it feels so good to tune out into the show. And so then you, you, you watch series one and it feels so good, it's so pleasant, it's so pleasant that craving, so you watch series two and then you watch series three, then you watch series four and uh, you never got to <laughs> the deadline. Uh, but the thing that he points out about in terms of craving, um, is that um, sometimes when it's unpleasant, we crave the present so much, pleasant so much that we don't want to come back into mindful awareness of what's happening where we are in our body because it's unpleasant. So we keep pushing the unpleasant away through a craving. Oh, give me another episode. Give me another episode. Um, I like doing the binging on Netflix once in a while. So I'm not saying this is something we shouldn't do. But what he is saying is notice when you want to stay disconnected. There's the craving for pleasure and pleasant and the clinging to it. And so you stay disconnected 
to avoid just being with the unpleasant at, in a neutral way. Uh, and this is mind training, habit training. It's good for us, neuroplasticity, right? All that, you know? So we get to notice and that as you are a mindfulness practitioner, um, you begin to realize that um, we become, Mark says, we become suspicious of being uh, disconnected. And um, we begin to know that tug, that habitual tug that disconnects us. On my way here, I had this experience. Um, this is a hard one to unpack, but but we're hanging it. So I had this experience of, um, of it's just rainy and cold and I just wanna be in my pajamas, you know, in, in bed sort of with a book and cocoa. I mean, really that's, you know, craving for uh, hunkering down, craving. And um, I had to, of course, come and give the talk and drive here and, you know, put on, clothes and get organized get the computer and all that and and there was a certain amount of stress in doing it yesterday I spent the day in my pajamas you know uh just hunkering down in a very cozy way and I wanted more of that I just want more it felt good so I was craving more good more good it was fun to do nothing in my jammies all day I loved it and today it's like, you know, maybe I have to dress up a little nicer and get organized and get things together, get in the car, get things go, give a talk. And so aversion was coming up. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't, I don't want to. Uh, as much as I love all of you, I would have rather had a pajama party around a fireplace with hot cocoa today. And sometimes, you know, you want comfort. There was this very subtle thought that crept in. And that thought was, um, oh, I can just take that box of crackers uh, for a snack and just uh, eat the crackers as I'm driving here. I'll, I'll take this box of crackers and I'll eat the crackers. And that was my clue right there that rather than allow the aversion to come in, with equanimity, with just being with something that's aversive, which is impermanent and passes, right? I'm tuning out, I'm craving pleasant. So let me just nibble on these crackers I love as I drive. So I don't have to be with where I really am. And you know, it's nothing wrong with it if I have the crackers, but as a practitioner, you're interested in the ways you check out. You know, and the fact that we cling and crave to states. So I didn't have the crackers. Uh, all right, but that wasn't the point. <laughs> so he talks about um, we're training to let go. We're letting go of our opinions and our judgments and our attitudes and our sense of self, who I think I, me, and mine is. Uh, and um, we're addicted to our thoughts and our experience. And what we're doing is releasing to this bigger picture. 
this sense of ease. So it's there is something here, and um, I want to see if I can integrate this into the talk. I remember when I was a little girl uh, having sleepover at my grandpa and grandma's house. Uh, they were they lived in Brooklyn in um, an apartment over a bagel shop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a Carvel ice cream place was across the street. I had a lot of craving for that. Um, it's a very sweet neighborhood. But um, my grandfather would get up in the morning and they had this wonderful sunny eat-in kitchen. And um, yeah, I don't think my grandfather went to school past... I don't know how much school he had. Uh, he could read several languages, but I don't think he fled uh, the Ukraine, Odessa, uh, when he was 12 with his little brother. And he spent his life as a laborer really on the edge of poverty in this country. Uh, and uh, he, was really the first practitioner of mindfulness I ever met. If there was a mindful human in front of me, it was this man. He was incredibly present and mindful. And so the mornings I'd wake up, I'd crawl into the kitchen and there he was with the kettle on and his cup of tea in a glass cup and the lumps of sugar um, and it seemed to me, I would enter into this kitchen and um, just feel it. I could still feel it today. It's still here. It's still here. And the world was, there was a quiet, an ease, a presence, uh, a sweetness is this man was present with every movement he made. Uh, he was there and his mind was still and there was joy in his heart and just an appreciation, a subtlety, a subtle beauty of having a cup of tea in the morning with your granddaughter. Uh, and then you go sit by the window and he'd read three newspapers in three different languages, but slowly sit quietly. There was no talking and uh, spending time with this man. You didn't talk and it was rich and full. It was deep. I mean, there was no room for talking. Uh, and what I think was going on is that he was one with the moment as it rose. When he stirred his tea, he stirred his tea. When he put a lump of sugar, he put that lump of sugar. When he took the sip, he took the sip. That was so big, rich, cool. It's the suchness in Buddhism. We'd say he really entered in that moment. I don't think there was any narrative. There, he wasn't rushing to go anywhere. He didn't have a story, right? He didn't have a to-do list, aims and goals. He didn't 
have an idea of himself or anyone else, just there. The whole world was a cup of tea. Uh, and I think this is something of when we release the grasping, uh, the clinging to get, to have, to do, to build myself up, to be a better person, to run somewhere, to get more, to fill, 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 fill up, we get this wide, beautiful field of being. This just amazing fullness and peace. And maybe the Buddha calls it emptiness. Maybe he calls it anatta, not self. You know, he just, yeah, just had a cup of tea with the whole world in a cup of tea. And I felt this, you know, over and over with him, but it's an invitation to live life differently, to get out of the habit formation that we're in uh, by the practice. And why I love Buddhism in particular, and I've been on many spiritual paths in my life, um, the Buddha kind of just breaks it down and gives you cheat notes. You know, I, I love the cheat notes of Buddhism. Uh, he's, he gives you a lot of like little pointers here and there, uh, which is kind of nice. So um, I'm going to say a couple of things and, and I'll wrap this up. So this is the invitation that we release the grasping of a sense of self when it's unskillful. And we, the way we do that is um, with kindness, compassion, with softness, with caring, with moment by moment awareness, remembering again and remembering again read something that I thought was helpful from Bruno. Tasmania. He's from Tasmania. I love to say the word Tasmania. It sounds so exotic. There's probably a shopping mall there too, right? Okay. See if I can read this. So he says, um, and he's talking about Sometimes it's easier to let go of a car honking at me, the sound of somebody honking at me when I don't like it, right? Sometimes it's easy to let go of that. It's not always so easy to let go of the internal experience, the way we talk to ourselves about ourselves. So this is what he's pointing to in this paragraph. He says, identifying with phenomena, such as our internal experience, um, little trouble reading, so. Means making these experiences part of who we are, part of our sense of self. There is a stimulus, stimulation of some sort to which we assign a value of importance. Somebody's honking at me and I don't want them to. How we identify with things is a fascinating process to study. Whereas we don't easily 
um, identify with stimuli that are generated outside our mind and body, we automatically identify with internally generated stimuli. For instance, if you open your window and a sewage pipe is broken, do you pinch your nose and say, I hate my smell? Similarly, if you have an ugly brick wall behind your window, do you say, I hate my sight? Or when you're eating a delicious dish, do you say, I love my taste? Generally, you would not. And yet, when your mind is trapped in sadness, anger, fear, you may say, I hate my thoughts. I hate my feelings. I hate myself. Similarly, when you feel intense sensations in the body, you say, I hate my pain. Um, so he says, we readily identify with what comes from within, even though both internal and external stimuli follow uh, the same process to produce an experience. So I want to point that out because a lot of the release of grasping is the release of an internalized dialogue on what you believe is true about you. And who you are in thoughts, one of the things we have to, uh, we're recommended to not grasp onto, is that very sense of self. It's a thought stream. We're changing all the time. We're not one solid being. We, like everything else, is impermanent and permanent and permanent. But we form these habit formations that get stuck. Uh, and then we suffer because these internalized thoughts become so sticky and real. And the the process of mindfulness and of practice is unsticking the sticky parts, unsticking the sticky parts. So, um, and, and a moment of realizing that unsticky, unsticking it is a moment of realization. It's a moment of cessation. We get those moments of cessation. So the question is, and we're going to stop here. And um, a question to contemplate is, where do I let go of grasping in my life? Where do I let go? Where do I let go? Right? How do I let go? What does that feel like? And where is there more stickiness, grasping and clinging? Where is there more stickiness? Does that make sense? Right? Where? And to really contemplate that and to look at that. Uh, right? To, to bring awareness to it. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna, in this room, you're gonna break into groups, maybe two groups or three groups. And for my uh, Zoom group, well, um, I'll walk into the, does that make sense, Donna? Walk into the other room with my computer and we could have dialogue 
because uh, I notice that when when we do this the breakout rooms, we lose a lot of people. So, okay, does that make sense? Okay, so I'm going to ask my Zoom group those questions if people want to share, and you guys are going to share in here. All right. Okay, group, we're back. All right, so we have 10 minutes left. And um, let's check in with our room. Um, I, I want to talk about a couple of the sticky things from our conversation. Um, a one, we, we had a lot of wonderful ways people unstick themselves. I want to talk about a couple of things that were mentioned here, and then we'll get a little bit of from you. Um, you know, when you have stress, if you're in a caregiver role, there's a lot of stress in that, right? That can be very sticky and hard to manage. Um, and certainly the mindfulness practice of slowing down, coming into the body, the breath. And um, in that case, not being aversive to the fact that this being needs care. Right, that we can get, develop as a caregiver, we can develop an aversion to the fact that the caregiver needs care, right? So the aversion is there. So, so to bring the equanimity to that aversion and give this being care. Um, another sticky one is um, in our interpersonal lives. One of these, this also came up, um, difficult relationships. We all have a few. Uh, we all have a few. We all have someone who's annoying us that we care about. That's the truth, right? And um, how do we bring um, grasping, non-clinging, how do we bring a letting go there um, to that? When it, that sometimes these people are become parts of us that are embedded in our head. They're internalized parts. And um, I think a couple of people talked about the 12-step program and AA and this beautiful philosophy of turning over and letting go um, and um, setting an intention to release resentments. Um, and in AA, they'll use prayer. But in, in Buddhism, we use loving kindness and metta. We turn the mind away from the aversion towards a uh, beautiful friendliness, open compassion and caring um, that has a non-clinging in it. And so we use the loving kindness and the karuna, this compassion practice to uh, loosen the mind from its grip um, internally and externally. And I wanna say, while we're on the topic um, of, of uh, doing the work this way or the practice this way is this a slow burn and a long-term practice we're talking about practicing over years in our instant culture we don't like hearing that <laughs> but it takes a lot of time right this stuff takes a lot of time also anybody in the room want to share about what is sticky and what is so what is unsticky who would like to talk about what came up in the group or something that you noticed? 
they were talking a lot. Uh, I, I heard you all. Yeah. Anybody want to share? <laughs> all right. Going once, going twice. All right. Let's see how we're doing. So it's a big topic, it's huge. We just touched the surface uh, and some of my explanations may not have been so um, all inclusive, you know, but what we're beginning to do is uh, moving from what's unskillful to skillful, what's unwholesome to wholesome uh, and finding freedom in this world, not so easy. So what we're gonna end with uh, metta, the practice of loving kindness. And I'm looking over at Don, I don't know if he wants, are you able to do the metta practice with us? Um, no. Do you wanna come over here? Okay, so we're gonna have Don come over and do that piece. So, just like you and me and all of us here today, everyone deep down just longs to be happy and free from suffering. And so, we're wishing that any goodness, any connection with ourselves with each other with the truth that we have glimpsed or experienced or cultivated here this morning just uh sending that out to benefit all beings no exceptions including ourselves and so may all beings have happiness within and its causes. <clears throat> may all beings be free from suffering and its causes. May we all never be separated from true happiness, genuine well-being, free from any delusion. May we all live in equanimity without attachment or aversion. And may we all live knowing the equality of all that lives. And also just sending metta and love and prayers for a peaceful transition for Deborah, Casey's mom. And sending, sending uh, metta and loving wishes to Casey and his family in their time of transition and loss. Thank you all for your practice today. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.